Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tools Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome to another Brahalistaba Book Club. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Barrett Kareem Cooper, who's written a brilliant book called The Great White Bard, Shakespeare, Race, and the Future. It's a bit more academic than Joe Wilkinson's autobiography, which is a cartoon, but uh, we're going to push through. I think it's a very accessible book. Hello, Farah. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. We met, of course, uh, on um, Greg Jenner's podcast, You're Dead to Me, where we were up uh, in... uh, North, was where were we? North Staffordshire, somewhere like that. I can't remember. Shakespeare, Shakespeare North and Prescott. Yeah, yeah. yeah Prescott. Yeah. So uh, we had a lot of th- that's worth checking out for lots more Shakespeare facts and uh, some jokes. And Farah uh, is, I, is definitely the expert, whereas I am uh, definitely not, as we'll find out during this conversation <laughs> as well. Um, so, uh, I mean, the book explains what prompted you to write this book um do you want to explain to the listeners well like, tell, tell us first of all who uh, why you're uh involved with Shakespeare and who who you are I think let's let's talk about that first sure of course uh so I am the director of education at Shakespeare's Globe um I look after research and all of our scholarship and higher education work uh, and I've been there for almost 20 years, which wow. seems really strange. Um, you can tell from my accent. Um, and uh, and then I'm also a professor of Shakespeare studies at King's College London. So it's kind of a joint position. Yeah. Um, 
And so I'm a pretty active academic, but most of my work has been around Shakespeare's theaters and uh, the history of his time and identity and race and all that kind of stuff. Um, sure. And it's really public facing because I obviously I work in a performing arts organization. Yeah. Um, so that's me. Yeah, brilliant. And so what, what give us the the genesis of this book and what sort of was the, the catalyst that sort of prompted you to, to, to write this book? Yeah. So um, as I said, I do a lot of public facing work um, and uh, I, I tend to put together sort of events and festivals and things like that. So we've had events at the Globe on Shakespeare and the senses and all kinds of things. Um, and I noticed uh, when we had the uh, a major conference of Shakespeareans from around the world that there were very few scholars of color. Right. Um, and often, and then I kind of woke up to the fact that often I'm the only scholar of color in a room, um, particularly in the UK, right. um, uh, studying Shakespeare, that is. So um, I wanted to address this and I wanted to think about what it means to be, to have a, a kind of racial identity while working with Shakespeare. So I put together a huge festival at the Globe, uh, which uh, brought to together actors, directors, academics, teachers, um, and it was a public festival. And this was in 2018. Um, and I had members of the public saying, okay, this is all really interesting, but what does Shakespeare have to do with race? And then I realized that sort of all the books that I've been publishing and books that my colleagues have been publishing are very academic. So they're kind of, we call it insider baseball, where we're really only talking to each other, you know. Yeah. Um, and the books that are actually being published for the public are telling really warm, cozy stories about Shakespeare. Sure. Um, and and actually don't really share the Shakespeare of his moment and the sort of reality of his works and the effect of his works on different communities. So that's why I wanted to kind of write a more public facing book. So this is the first time it's my uh, third book. Uh, and it's the first time I've written one for more than 12 academics. Right. <laughs> well, that's very good. Um, I, yeah, I think we 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 shared a car journey home from the uh, from the record we did uh, up north, uh, and I think we sort of talked about this. But obviously, you are like a, a you're, you're a big fan of Shakespeare still, and you love Shakespeare, and you obviously, and this is why you work with him. Yes. But uh, it, it's you know it's interesting that. Any criticism, and, and I think especially for a certain type of person, any criticism <laughs> of uh, a cultural issues like this can uh, can lead to quite sort of angry, knee-jerk responses. Uh, yeah. And but you know, I think you make it very clear in this book that you know that there's there's loads of positives as well as some uh, some troubles troubling things. I think I said yeah. to you in the car that you know Shakespeare's legacy is probably less complicated than say Little Britain or anything from Naughty's comedy. <laughs> so although there is stuff to worry about these sort of sensitive in some it's, it's, it is a very interesting yeah. subject because it's obviously there is some um racism of its time in there in, in yeah. some of the plays but equally he is I guess working in theatre it's sort of true of anyone working in theatre I think you ha you become very accepting of different lifestyles because you you sort of get to meet people from different lifestyles. So, you know, I think he, I think there's there's plenty in the plays that is accepting. But, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, I think people, first of all, uh, the, the traditional <laughs> response uh, is to say, well, England in, in that time, there were no black people and it was all white people. So why are you why are you saying uh, that race <laughs> was even important? So I, I, and I'm sure That's you right. would like to address, <laughs> address that rubbish point I've just made. Yeah, no, I, mean, there's like, I think. It's it's it, in some ways it's not a rubbish point because that's kind of what we've been told yeah. for centuries. You know, history is really selective, 
Um, and actually, it's only in the last um, decade or so, actually 20 years or so, that more research has emerged that shows that actually there were Black people living in London in Tudor, England, um, and that actually there were people from lots of parts of the world. It was a, there was a, a huge history of migration, and London was um, becoming more cosmopolitan already by the time Shakespeare got there and started writing. Um, and so Black presence is a real thing. And actually, I'm, I'm working on some um, studies at the moment trying to see if, if there were Black spectators in his theaters, which kind of throws a whole wrench into the whole, our, all of our understanding. Um, so, uh, so that's one issue. But I think people feel like Shakespeare is, belongs to them. And so yeah. Shakespeare has a special place in everybody's heart. But not everybody that's what's really interesting. Some people feel really locked out of Shakespeare. So one of the things I wanted to do was investigate why Shakespeare feels so exclusive to people. Um, how is Shakespeare embroiled in, in, in you know, colonialism, uh, yeah. which is a bad word these days. Um, but actually he was, and it wasn't necessarily just in his own time, which was the beginning of the colonial moment. I mean, uh, Sir John Hawkins and Francis Drake were going on um, slave trading expeditions before Shakespeare started writing plays. Um, and this was sanctioned by Queen Elizabeth I. That's not a history you get taught in school, you know. Yeah. Um, so we do know that they had these colonial ambitions at the time. Um, and Shakespeare becomes very conscious of this. But then it's in the 18th century, really, where Shakespeare gets really rolled up in what it means to be English and what it means to be um, white, what it means to be civilized and elite. Um, and that Shakespeare still with us. And I think that's why some people feel really cut off from it. So I kind of wanted to extract Shakespeare from that moment um, and then look at him in his own time and look at him in our our time when we're still performing him. Sure. Um, and actually performances of Shakespeare are much more diverse than they ever were. And so we need to deal with some of the the sort of racial language in the plays. Yeah, and it's interesting, I think, when you just talk about the stuff about his image, obviously there's only a few images of Shakespeare, but they get uh, progressively sort of sort of what almost literally whitewashed in some yeah. cases uh, as, as time goes by. That first, the, the, the possibly only contemporary picture of him he, you know he's got an earring and he looks he looks like quite mediterranean at least he i would does. say in that, in that picture <laughs> and then he becomes sort of this you know almost marble headed uh, unpainted statue or literally a statue painted uh, literally white in, in one case in his memorial i think yeah i mean my family is from pakistan okay and um my uncle saw that that painting of him uh, when i was a graduate student and i was studying shakespeare he was like shakespeare Shakespeare is Pakistani? And I was like, no, I can see why you think that, though. Um, so, uh, but yes, actually, that is the one that most people feel secure was probably painted from life. Um, yeah. And that's the one sitting in the National Portrait Gallery. Um, and then there's two more images that are hugely recognizable. You know, the one that's on the front page of the first folio, which is the sort of, it looks kind of cartoony. Um the Droshout engraving, and then there's the bust that's in his um, near his uh, grave site um, yeah. in Trinity Chapel, Stratford, and those came along seven years after he died. So um, neither of those really look anything potentially like that portrait that's in the National Portrait Gallery. Yeah. Um, and I suppose in the 18th century, when they were trying to sort of uh, laud Shakespeare as the sort of champion of British values, that none, none of those paintings or none of those images were good enough. 
so sculptures and um, statues and busts started to emerge that kind of created a very, very different image and was very sort of in line with some of the art history theory at the time, which was in dialogue with racial theory at the time. Um, and so you get these really sort of white, um, uh, sort of uh, perfectly chiseled neoclassical statues of Shakespeare, um, which have him sort of looking like an elite author of the 17th century. Um, and that's, it's kind of nothing really like what he probably looked like, um, right. in my view anyway. Uh, and then hit the bust in Stratford actually got painted entirely white in 1790. Um, and then it was repainted by the Victorians. So, uh, so they literally tried to whitewash his statue. At one yeah. Point. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is, it is, that is very interesting. And obviously you've come to Shakespeare and you've, you sort of love Shakespeare as a, as a student, as a young student. And so you obviously found something universal within him that it, or it did, or did it, at what point did it start to, to bother you or did you start to notice, uh, that this sort of interpretation of him? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, I mean, I first met Shakespeare like everybody else did in their sort of English class in school where we, you know, studied Romeo and Juliet and I loved it. And, um, I, but I, over the years, I found Shakespeare sort of making space for other kinds of identities and other kinds of bodies in his work, which is why I think he speaks to so many different cultures across time and geography, you know. Um, but, uh, but I think it was probably, yeah, I mean, it was quite late. I, well, when I was a graduate student that I realized that um, Shakespeare sometimes felt out of my reach because he was this kind of high perched high. And I had to work as a graduate student from Harris County, Texas, via Pakistan. Um, what, you know, how, how am I going to meet this elite Shakespeare? Yeah. Um, and I found that really difficult. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really feel like I was really let into the academy in this country. Um, and some people say it's because I'm of my accent, because I'm American. <laughs> yeah. for reason. Um, but, uh, you know, I applied for jobs and I was like, oh, you're just about there. But someone else picked you out of it. You know, oh, you'll never really publish anything. Then I did publish stuff. And so then I got this job at The Globe, which kind of let me play with these plays and see them in action on stage and work with actors and while writing academic books. Um, and so that's really where I found my home. So I didn't really yeah. feel like I fully belonged either. Um, but but I do love Shakespeare. I think his work speaks to, you know, I always tell my students that, you know, he writes about brown girls. You know, he likes, he likes, he, he, or I don't know if he likes dark ladies or if he has a relationship <laughs> with a dark lady, but they appear a lot, right? He's contrasting the perfect white beauty with alternatives. And that was really interesting for somebody like me. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I suppose you know it, that what's interesting and you know confusing in sort of a way when you're writing this book is that he plays with stereotypes and he you know he in, enforces stereotypes at some points, but also I mean something like the Merchant of Venice, which obviously is you know is a difficult is a complicated play, yeah. <laughs> even more so as as we as time goes on, um, but. But equally, you know, it's about how underneath we're all the same as well. So he, he enforces the stereotypes, but also challenges the, the stereotypes. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think Shakespeare does this thing where he asks you to hold two things in your head at the same time. And we find that really hard. You know, it's this kind of double vision. It's been written about in in my field, you know, that what this notion of double vision is. And and they talked about it in that time period that you can hold two ideas simultaneously in your mind. Um, And uh, and what he does with um, The Merchant of Venice in particular is he draws on these old medieval tropes um, about Jewish people, um, and gives you those in full, but actually it's the, the, the Christian community around him is also being, uh, he's asking you to judge them as well, which is really fascinating. Like what yeah. produces this kind of behavior? And then I think at the, at, at, by the time you get to the end of the play, he is really asking you to, about your own views. And that came to light for me when I, um, uh, was drawn, somebody drew my attention to this study, um, in Sweden, uh, the Swedish scholar had done um, uh, an analysis of three productions of The Merchant of Venice on three different continents and talked to audiences before and after and found audiences came out 10% more anti-Semitic than when they went in. <laughs> right. So, And by simply asking them questions like, do you think Shylock is a good representative of a Jew? Yeah. You know, and so that is every, that may, means everybody assumes we've sort of in, 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 in I suppose, um, internalized an idea of what a Jew is from these old tropes that come from um, the Middle Ages. And uh, and I think that Shakespeare's asking his audience really to look inside. So what do you think? Uh, you know, who are, who are you? And how do you feel about these characters? Um, so he never really gives you an answer. He just kind of provokes more questions, I think. Yeah. And that's not like, that's not sort of giving him a pass. I mean, the language in that play is hard. There are actors who won't touch it because they don't want to say those things, you know? Yeah. And it's a, it's a play that was performed, you know, during Nazi Germany over and over again, and they didn't change a word. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a real it's a reason why we call it a problem play. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. 
They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I mean, it's a little bit like a religious text, a bit like the Bible. People can interpret things in different ways and people can reinterpret things. And so you can still make something, you know, obviously there have been... uh, Tracy Ann Oban's production of the production Tracy Ann Oban was in of Merchant of Venice obviously made yeah. an attempt to redress that and, and look at it from a different angle. So you can take the exact same words and and um, and make them mean something different. And, and I suppose it's, it's very difficult to know uh, how an audience responded. I suppose as a comedian as well, I'm sort of interested in in when you're talking about words being used. I think you took there's the word Ethiopia, is it? The, the, yeah. the, the word that's used a lot and you sort of speculate about... Uh, how that would be received and just like mm. just say just saying the word would probably you i think the book says would probably get a laugh from the audience for yes. you know for, for its you know it's mean it would be a, a racial epithet in the same way that we have ones as well so and he uses that word a lot so yeah, he obviously and it, still, it still gets a laugh Right. It still gets a laugh. Like it's bizarre. Like, and also the opening of Othello has a lot of really like bad racism, horrible racism yeah. in it, and people laugh. Uh, you know, I don't know. Sometimes they laugh because they're uncomfortable, or they or they recognize, or they know what it means. Sometimes when people laugh at Shakespeare, they're laughing because they're like, "Oh, I get that. I know what that yeah. means." So it doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that they think it's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you know, there's a, a productions of the, of A Midsummer Night's Dream, for example, where you know Lysander has been given this drug, and he sees the woman that he was in love with before, who happens to be short and dark, as it's referred to. And he's not in love with her anymore all of a sudden. So he tells her to get away from him and, you know, run away. And he says, away, Ethiop. And people think it's funny. Yes. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. It's, well, it is interesting. <laughs> it is, you know, it's interesting. And again, you, don't, you know, you don't know why people laugh exactly. You know, that's one of my bugbears about going to see Shakespeare. <laughs> is, yeah. the, is the awful, look at me, I understand that joke laugh. That, that, yes. that isn't a real laugh. You know, as a comedian, you know, the difference between a, a real <laughs> laugh and a laugh that's like self-aggrandizing. So, you know, I don't like those people. So if they're laughing no. at these horrible jokes, then that's fair enough. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, there, there's... There's a lot of uh, I had no idea that of uh, the of the etymology of uh, barbarian. I'd, mm. I'd sort of assumed that came from um, you know like the Romans fighting the the the, the masses of uh, barbarian hordes coming from yes. uh, Europe. But uh, but you do you know that barbarian has a has a, a pretty uh, racist or well, no very a, a racist connotation that from from the start, right? Yeah, and that word gets really kind of co-opted and. I suppose, um, you know, the Irish in the 16th century were referred to as barbarians. So they were racialized in the same way that what, what's happening is that if you think of color as a spectrum, the sort of elite form of whiteness is on one end and people are kind of distanced from it or dissociated from it um, and uh, through language and, uh, you know, references to savagery, barbarism, barbarianism. Yeah all of those words are racialized. So when you see them in other places, that's race emerging as a context, right? Yeah. And so yeah. that's why I can talk about the plays that aren't traditionally known as race plays. 
Yes, yeah. there, there's, there is a lot more to it, a lot more to it, because obviously people would think of Othello, the Merchant of Venice, and they might think of Titus Andronicus if they knew what happened in that, which I didn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they might think, I mean, again, I was in the Tempest at school and it never struck me, obviously, oh. you know, this was many years ago, it never struck me quite what that was about. I thought it was about animal nature versus spiritual nature, but obviously yeah. it is about... Uh, very much about colonialism and, and a, a white guy coming to an island and uh, having this savage beast uh, Caliban yes. and uh, you know and the, and the way he's treated. Although he, you know, I think when you you feel a lot of sympathy for Caliban in that play. I mean, I know he's a uh, he's a rapist as well, so you don't feel total sympathy for him. But he feel yeah. he, he is you know he is this sort of creature who uh, who's that was his island and someone's come and taken it from him and, and made him a slave. You know, it's so obvious now. <laughs> When I read yes. the book, what the play's about, but as a t- as a school t- as school kid, that it never struck me. It was really about that at all. I think what's really interesting is he's accused of wanting to rape Miranda. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't, and then he says, "Yeah, and I wish I had, and I would have peopled the island with more memes." You know, yeah. um, which is a really that's a really interesting. Uh, that's not quite the same thing as him being a rapist, no, no, but it's not true. giving him a pass either. So that's very, no. very, you know, Shakespeare leaves you going, ah, how do I feel about these people in the end? But and it's playing, on the, it's, it's playing on the fear, I guess, that you know, of, of that exact thing. That's people's, you know, that's the fear. That's where racism comes from, isn't it? The the otherness and that they'll, they'll, they'll come over here and steal our women sort of uh, nonsense. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and it's and actually... The white woman who is, you know, in this period and uh, slightly earlier and then all the way to the 19th century is this sort of precious jewel that needs to be protected and regulated because she is the reason for the sort of propagation of the white race. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, um, uh, Prospero, I was trying to remember his name, <laughs> Prospero <laughs> is incredibly um, conscious of this. Right. He's carefully managing her marriage and who she gets married to. He's stage managing the whole thing. Yeah. And we, the book is also about, you know, about sexism and and, uh, and and other issues as well, obviously. But it does, you know, I sort of, that issue where women were, you know, where being like pearl white was, yeah. the, was the attractive thing. You sort of think, well, nobody is really that you know, most people are not even white people are not actually alabaster white they are they're pink and, pl- and splodgy and so women are applying all these things dangerous things and cancerous things to their faces in order to, right. to, to fulfill this ideal of whiteness which is so they become victims uh, you know aside from the sexism they become victims of this sort of weird racism the, themselves or this weird you know worship of of, of whiteness. It, it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's partly what Shakespeare through his works and his sonnets kind of take picks apart is this obsession with this alabaster, pearly white, ivory yeah. skin. You know, you get these poems, just flood of poems written in the 16th century that do this, that elevate the perfect mistress to this level um, and put her on a pedestal. And the whole time, in all of his plays, Shakespeare's trying to knock women off the pedestal. And this is not really how you how you talk about love. This is not how you say how you love somebody. Yeah. Um, and you, you see it in Romeo and Juliet when he, you know, Romeo's kind of swearing by the moon and he starts out as that kind of lover. And he, and he says, I swear by the moon. And she says, don't swear by the moon. When are we getting married? You know, she's <laughs> like, speak real, let's do something. Um, 
so I feel, I, I feel like that is something that he's kind of tackling a little bit, that notion of the perfect white woman. And yeah, they did use cosmetics um, made of white lead and vinegar, and it was very corrosive on your face. So yeah, you could, the pressure was on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was good. Just, I uh, just had a thought and it's, and it's disappeared from my head. Well, never mind. We'll talk <laughs> about something else. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's. It, I, mean, I, I suppose that no, that's what it was. It's you know, it, it, there's so much humanity in these plays, and I think this is what's interesting about the book because it, it directs you towards both as well as being critical, but not you know. But I, I think it's it's critical in the, in a good way, in a, in critical thinking. We should be thinking about these things, and and I don't you know, and I, I, it doesn't feel like you're you know you're attacking us or Shakespeare or the reader. It feels yeah. it feels like you're saying let's. Let's talk about this. Let's think about this. And you know, and I, I think, like in a lot of ways, given how old this stuff is and how and how views change over centuries, the the essence of Shakespeare and why it's it's still popular, I think, is because of that humanity. Because it's about love. Because you know, the female characters are not all perfect. The ethnic yeah. characters are not all perfect, but they are. There's a humanity to them, uh, yeah. and and so you're. It's as much about the interpretation of them. Uh, that you're that you're interested in as him himself i think isn't it and not, not to again not to give him a pass because you're not yeah. giving him a free pass but it's 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 the way that you know to to, to see him as being the you know the epitome of uh of england and you know and and the sort of battle speeches uh from yeah. the kings that, that you know that w- that would have been meant in an ironic way as well that, that are yes. used perfectly unironically by people you know, who, who wouldn't agree with what Shakespeare was trying to say. Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting is his Henry V is all about, like, the the perils of historical nostalgia, yeah. you know, because people sort of lauded Henry V uh, in that time period as this great king. And, um, uh, you know, he's got that speech about St. George's Day and, um, you know, it's just really, or sorry, St. Crispin's Day. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, you know, people read that now and they kind of, um, I suppose, cherry pick those speeches and look at how they might be very um, galvanizing for English patriotism. But actually Shakespeare's kind of questioning that and, and, and asking people to be a bit more critical about their heads of state and about the icons and history um, in general. Uh, so yeah, I think, I, I, I certainly am not trying to sort of say we need to get rid of Shakespeare or criticize him in any way. I think Shakespeare would not really have abided being worshipped in an empty fashion, you know, like worshipping me because you think I represent some elite idea of what it means to be um, the greatest writer in the world. You know, what that means to a working class um, person, what that means to someone living in South America are very, very different things. And I think his, his plays are capacious enough to encompass that. Yeah. Um, so what I get angry about is when people try to pin him down to sort of one thing and then they get upset when you're saying, no, he's multiple things. Yeah. Um, and and he doesn't belong to one group of people. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the mission of the book, I suppose. Yeah. And, you know, and that the, the plays are for the, all over the world. So he means something to everyone in spite of the, 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 the problematic plays and the problems within the plays. He's, and, and I think it does come come down to that. Well, because it, you know, and it's and it's it's not black and white in any yeah. none of none of the subjects are black and white, even though this yeah. book is about that. Because you know, because he will, 
you know, you are made to confront things and you're made to to think about both sides, uh, you know, and even when he, he gets it, what would be considered wrong in present day morality and present day the way of looking at things, it's still an interesting conversation to be had. But, you know, it, it is, and, 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 you know, as a, as a person who was, you know, made to study Shakespeare at school and didn't massively enjoy it, mm. I think this, I think that's what's, that's what's interesting about your approach to it as well, is it's, it's if, if I'd had that, I think, even as a white person, I thought, oh, this is more interesting. It's about this or it's about, or let's look into the history of it. It's it's sort of, you know, there's a, a lot of interesting things. I mean, it's interesting he didn't really write, I mean, he wrote about his own current issues, but like his histories are all, I mean, King Henry VIII's maybe the closest he gets if if, if he did write that one. Uh, but, yeah, uh, he did. Yeah. yeah. To, but that, um, that, that's a real political play, you know, like the best way to stage that is like the West Wing, you know, that right. <laughs> that really is, a, a, it's a lot of political conversation about, you know, that moment in which he's, uh, Henry VIII's trying to break away from Catherine of Aragon. Yeah. But there was, there was something that you said, which was really interesting in that, um, uh, thank you for saying that you wish that my book had been around. <laughs> cool. But, um, you know, I think the idea is that I, I also wanted to highlight how uh, whiteness is also a racial category. And so yeah. if you're talking about race as a as a as a white person, you're entitled to talk about race because, you know, the, the way in which race was constructed is, is that we've all been raced in some way. And so we we have to talk about it because all of those structures have kind of pitted um, us against each other. And, and, and it, so it makes it much more difficult to have a conversation um, and Shakespeare was really aware of, of, of those structures because they were emerging in his moment. And he was really interested in what happens when lots of different cultures live in the same city. Yeah. You know, what, you know, what happens when people from different sides of, of the world come together and fall in love? How would their families feel? You know, he's, he's playing with all these ideas constantly. And I think that's why Shakespeare is... Is not just for one group, I guess. No. And yeah, and I guess yeah, exactly. That's that's why it's still current because perhaps at that point when I, you know cultures were clashing for the first time, much more or not clashing, but you know intermingling for for the first time, uh, and and you know we we still live in that world. So it it is you know it, it does remain. I know, I know you sort of complain. You can compare it to uh, Harry and Meghan and the treatment that they've got. <laughs> But, you know, it does, it, it, it remains very relevant. And so, you know, I think it is, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it, 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 and it brings it alive. And whatever people think, you know, I know people, there will be people who don't like you. Uh, that's the start yeah. of the book is the people who don't like you daring to even, you know, make this point or, or thinking that Shakespeare is about something that isn't about. But, you, you know, you do make it very clear that, it, you know, where it is about that. And you kind of think, you know, that, that's what I think is impressive about the, the book is that it's, you know, it's not just the the the, the more obvious cases of of, of, of that and in the in the plays that are expressly about that, but it does it does feed through all these other plays uh, in the language and uh, yeah. and the and the reaction as well. Um, yeah. Go on. No, I mean, I was just going to say, I think that what you were saying was interesting because I, you know, this work started before the word woke got into people's right. <laughs> vocabulary. Um, you know, that word has been around since the early, early 20th century, and it was an African-American rallying cry about the, the dangers of white supremacy. And somehow it's been co-opted. And now if you write about race or any form of social justice or you're trying to make change in the world, you're being woke. And so, yeah, my book has been called Woke and 
the, some of the work that I do at the globe has been about opening up these conversations so that we can get more people involved. You know, we have tons of young people that come and do workshops at the globe and many of them are from so many different backgrounds. And if, if we were just to teach Shakespeare as if he's this benign genius who sometimes has racist language in them that diminishes your bodies, that's yeah. okay. You know, we can't <laughs> do that anymore. And and students are and actors are demanding better from us, I think. Yeah. I yeah, and, and when I was just talking to John Ronson uh, the day before we did this and all of his stuff about uh, you know about books being banned and uh, you know, and, and even books that agree with the the, the the point that the people who are banning them are making, they just don't, they're not understanding the subtlety of the argument. And so, you know, it, it is, there's, it, it's, you can see that people are challenged by something if they refuse to discuss it. Because if this book was all bullshit, there'd be no yeah. problem. There'd be no problem going, okay, let's talk about this and go, no, it isn't this. So the fact that it's just, it's a shut, it's a, an attitude of shutting off. And not even listening. I mean, I've seen, I've read, I've read, I've read a few reviews of this, and one of them's from a, in the New York Times from a, I think, a black actor who's saying, yeah. you know, he doesn't agree with everything you say, but he thinks it's yeah. it's it's pushing it in, in the right direction and raising interesting points. And that's all you can you can do, isn't it? And that's so like, yeah. some people aren't. You're not necessarily going to get everything right, but it, but 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 equally, there's no there's no problem in discussing. You would think, but we seem to be living in a world where yeah, that's becoming more difficult. But I also think this is the first time this idea has been pushed out into the public domain. Yeah. So if you were to read a lot of the criticism, the the, the Shakespeare um, uh, critiques from scholars of color and other scholars who are writing about race, it would, I mean, I don't sound extreme at all in no. some of the things that I'm saying, right? So, um, you know, the way that we talk about language in that time period is is embedded in lots of different linguistic um, influences. And so I can't do all of that in one book. And so, yeah, there are going to be people who aren't ready for some of these ideas. Um, and, and actually if more and more books come out, then I think maybe people will start to feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Yeah. And, you know, and I would again, reiterate that it comes from the point of view, someone who feels uh, seen and heard in Shakespeare and who loves Shakespeare and, mm. you know, and, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous to get to, the position with any person or any work of just being uncritical or just you know of, of putting up on a pedestal and saying this we we can't even discuss it especially something that this drama and something that has been interpreted so many times over the years by different that you know i think the beauty of shakespeare's plays is that adaptability and the fact that they can be staged in so many different ways and you can see the same play and go okay that was those are the same yeah. words but that was a very different way of looking at it so that's uh that's all very interesting this isn't something uh, you cover in the book but something that we covered in our car journey home uh, yeah. and i just uh, <laughs> when we're talking about shakespeare um uh but uh, well yeah it was just whether whether william shakespeare there's obviously a lot of people who believe william shakespeare didn't write any of the plays and that uh, there's there was various cabals of people writing them or or, or someone posh was writing them there's no way uh, a, a fairly middle class man from from uh, Birmingham could uh, could write write these <laughs> plays uh, you seem to think that that was was not the case Barra. yeah i do i don't i the, the the argument sort of came up around the 19 late 18th early 19th century where people started to question the sort of orthodoxy of the man from stratford and that's fair enough you know i mean a lot of people do people i'm close to also believe that um uh, we just we just have like 
uh, we don't talk about it at dinner. You know? <laughs> we just make sure we, don't, we stay away from that subject. But, um, but I think, you know, when you look at the fact that Shakespeare scholars and scholars of the early modern period, so sh- there were uh, dramatists around Shakespeare that were writing plays, some of them way more popular than him in his own time. Um, none of those scholars believe this at all. And uh, because they understand the way theater making worked in that time period, you can't write plays in, in, you know, and then send them to the theater company. You know, there are tons of, of stages of sub editing, so many influences on the plays from the actors to the Royal censor, to the scribe in the playhouse, to the prompter who's writing up the book, you know, it, it was incredibly collaborative. It would have had to been a, a huge cultural conspiracy for everybody to hide who wrote these plays. Yeah. Uh, and it just isn't a feasible, feasible argument. Um, and if there was one candidate that they came up with and they had all the sort of theater making evidence and brought all of that other stuff with them, then I might entertain the question. Yeah. And yeah. it's sort of, it wouldn't, you know, somebody wrote the plays. <laughs> and so <laughs> by, by this stage, it sort of doesn't, you know, they're, they're the person who no longer exists. It sort of doesn't matter, though, you know, I, I, I like yeah. to get, I like to get facts right. So, and I'd like to give credit where credit's due. And it's, but, it, but it's interesting that there's a sort of class um, element, I think, to that, to that theory, isn't it? I mean, it, that in itself is another division. It really comes, from someone yes. not believing that someone who isn't the Earl of Oxford could, you know, as, yes. as if being posh makes you a good writer, uh, yeah. gives, you the, gives you the time to write, I suppose, if you're posh. And then that's, uh, well, that's... because they, there are people who think that he didn't have access to so many books when actually yeah. be, living in London near St. Paul's, you would have had access to as many books as you wanted. Um, and Shakespeare also knew many nobles at court. So there's no... There's no reason to presume he couldn't read. The way reading and, and, and language circulated in that time is way, it, it's just not graspable for us nowadays. It's quite yeah. different. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of snobism, um, classism around this question. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 it's not surprising that there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot to discuss about Shakespeare, and it's an interesting subject because it's been going for four hundred years. So, <laughs> so it will it will con- continue on. But I think this is it's such a um, as I say, yeah. I think you know, I feel it is. It, it still feels like an a- academic book, but uh, but uh, but I think it is. Uh, you know, as you say, it's not just for twelve people. This is for I, I think anyone who's interested has a has a, a working interest in Shakespeare. And I don't know all that much about all of the plays. I know a little bit about certain the plays, and obviously a lot of it permeates through your consciousness. But it is, I think, it is something that uh, the layman or lay woman or lay person can. Uh, could enjoy and and get a lot out of and as you say it asks a lot of questions and um and still retains um a love for whoever wrote it you know the Earl of Oxford, yeah Earl of i mean we'd have Prince to change Prince. the name of the globe if someone else came up with a convincing argument but overall okay. i think we're safe <laughs> brilliant and i ask uh, all of my guests whether they're uh, are you reading anything at the moment that you would like to recommend uh, that that people that people have a look at Okay, so uh, there's a fantastic, fantastic book by Sarah Churchwell, um, which is about Gone with the Wind. And I have the title, um, yeah, it's called The Wrath to Come. Um, And it's amazing. And basically, she talks about the history of um, uh, Southern uh, American racism all the way from the Civil War to the January 6th 
insurrection. Right. And, and draws really interesting um, uh, lines of contact between those events. And at the center of it is the movie Gone with the Wind. Right. Um, and it's uh, and how that movie came about and uh, the the novel it was based on. It's just incredibly. I mean, that movie we all watched when we were kids. And so yeah. it completely blew my mind. So that's that's an incredible book that I just finished. OK, terrific. Well, I'll check that out. That does sound very interesting. Uh, but for the moment, everyone should go and buy The Great White Bard by Farah Kareem Cooper. Thank you so much for uh talking to me again and uh, thank you for talking to me in the car and, t- and telling me lots of stuff as well <laughs> I should, we should have just recorded the podcast in the car now I we think about it, but never, never, <laughs> we could have had a two hour but it was a four hour probably journey we had to go. <laughs> could have had a very long podcast about Shakespeare and my silly theories um, really nice to see you again and uh, we'll be back we'll, we'll be back with more soon thank you Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash Fallback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>